This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Yemen Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. One of the greatest of the Meshivim of the 19th century was Rav Yosef Shoel Natanzin, who wrote the monumental work Shoel Meshiv. Rav Natanzin was born in the beginning of the 19th century, 1808 to 1810, it's not that clear. He learned mostly with his father, who was a well-known Tamit Chacham, and began himself to write shoot him when he was 17 years old. At that young age, he wrote and discussed halachic issues with the greatest rabbanim of his time. And in the letters that they sent to each other, you see great mutual respect. The older rabbanim treated the young Rav Natanzan with utmost kavod And you can see that the way they addressed their letters and the way they discussed the questions. Some of the people with whom he discussed issues were Rebbe Kiva Eger, the Chassam Sofer, Rebbe Mordechai Benet. Rav Natanzen was appointed Rav in the city of Lemberg in 1857. In 1857 he became the Rav of Lvov. He was the Rav of Lemberg earlier. But more than any Rabbanus, Rav Natanzan was known as a great Shoel Umeshiv, as the name of his Svarim. We have six volumes of Chuvos of the Shoel Umeshiv, with an average of a few hundred Chuvos in each volume. Fairly recently, a seventh volume came out of letters and shuvos that were printed, that were found later, and printed by a Rav Yitzchak Hershkovich, himself an author of a, a sefer of shuvos called Divrei Or. This sefer came out about 25 years ago, and they call it Mahadura Shviya, the seventh edition of the shuvos of the Shalameshiv. He was known at that time, as a great fighter of the reform movement. But interestingly enough, the Encyclopedia Judaica mentions, as you can see in other articles written about Rav Natanzen that appeared in Orhan Mizrach and other journals, that he had a personal relationship with some of the leaders. He attacked them bitterly but did not at all consider it a personal thing. Rather, uh, he felt that he had to fight them tooth and nail, but personally, he had respect for these people as well. The same thing is true, of course, with a little bit, or a great bit of lahavdil here, in his attitude toward Hasidim. He had a negative attitude toward Hasidus, but a very positive attitude 
toward the great Hasidim. He had a relationship with Reb Chaim Sanzer as well as others, and he praises them greatly. He was very, very meticulous about observing the minhagim that were established in his community, even though many of these minhagim were somehow uprooted or changed by Hasidim or other cases and other instances, and he fought very strongly to maintain the old minhagim. Uh, For example, the uh, minhag of putting on tefillin on Chola Moed was established in his community. The uh, custom of, I think, all Hasidim is not to put on tefillin on Chola Moed. And Rav Dattinson wrote very carefully, very powerfully, that one should keep the minig that existed before, and namely to put on tefillin on Chalamoid. Or, for example, the custom of saying Halal the night of Pesach, the Ashkenazi custom, the custom that I remember from growing up in the United States, was that most shuls did not say Halal the night of Pesach, except for the Hasidish Shtiblach. I remember as a child, I wanted to go, my father wanted to go to hear, uh, to say Halal the night of Pesach. So we did not dive in our regular shul in Borough Park, but we went Afka to a Hasidish based medrash to the Radzina Rebbe because we knew that, that they would say Halil. Rav Natanson said we have to maintain his, in his community, he was very strongly instrumental in keeping the old minig, namely not to say Halil on the night of Pesach, in, in Shul. Rav Natanzin was obviously considered a very important posek in his generation, and that you can see from the amount of chuvos that were sent to him, of she'lot that were sent to him, that we have thousands of chuvos from, from the Sholem Another way of gauging how important he was in that generation was when you many svarim that came out in the 19th century, if you open them up and look through the Haskamos, you find to see to whom the author wrote asking for Haskama. Rav Yosef Natanzin wrote Haskamos for over 300 Svarim. That means at least 300 Mechabrim wrote him and asked him to write an approbation Haskama to their Svarim. In fact, in the Yeshiva genre, it's known that they sort of nicknamed Rav Natanzin the Sholomeshiv, they nicknamed him the Sar Hamaskim, the Sarhamaskim, the one who agrees to everything. So I don't know if Svarim came to him that he refused to give Haskamas on. But it is clear that that many Mechabrim, those, that many people, asked him to write Haskamas for his Svarim. Today we are going to discuss a few of the Chuvos that were written specifically in the seventh volume. The, this new edition that I said was printed about 25 years ago, has a number of tshuvos of Rav Natanzin that are brief and to the point. In general, the tshuvos of the Sholem Eshev, as I said, there are thousands of them, are generally short, to the point, with, obviously, quoting sources. Sometimes he elaborates more. Very often it seems that letters were written in a great hurry, and he writes the tshuvos quickly and to the point. One of the first questions we'll discuss in the volume, as I mentioned, the first volume of the 
of the uh, in the, this newer edition was a question about carrying on Shabbos. The story that was raised was there was a person who had a certificate that was very important to give to a non-Jew on Shabbos. It was some sort of a banknote. In Yiddish, it's written bank settle. Some sort of a banknote. And it was extremely important for Parnassah. If he didn't give it to him on Shabbos, he would lose a major, major business. The problem was, well, you might have even raised the issue of Muktzah about this particular document. That issue wasn't raised. I don't know why. But the problem was to carry it because there was no Eruv and they wanted to carry it even though there was no heter to carry an Eruv. The situation was that there was also no Jew, no non-Jew or infant that you could ask to carry it. There was also a problem that he didn't want people to know about it. And therefore he asked what to do. The Shalom Eshev, Rav Natanzen answered that what he should do is put it on his hat. And then it would be potter. Now, the Gemara in Shabbos says that a person who carries on his head, you put something on your head and you carry it, so you're potter. Now, let's remember that potter means that it's not Asr Midorai, so you're not Chayev. But it doesn't mean it's it's mutter. It means it's asr at least midrabanan. The Gemara says there were a, there was a certain group of people on Shehutzal that actually did carry things on their head. Years ago, I still saw many Arab women who carried heavy packages on their head. So the Gemara quotes the on Shehutzal used to do that. The Gemara said that is not the customary way of doing it. And Batla Data Mitzakaladam. This is not considered normal, even though there were certain people who did it. I told him to said the note said the Sholomeshiv, I told him to wrap it up well, put it in that it should be in this hat. The Rambam distinguishes between a light object and a heavy object. The Rambam quoted by the Sholom Eishiv in Perek Yudbeis of Hilcha Shabbos says that there in it, it, you might have argued backwards because the question would be what the Anshe Hutzel carried. The Rashi says they carried pitchers of water. It seems to be that that was rather well, you could argue if that's really heavy. And if it's really heavy, then according to the Rambam you should be Chayev. But we would have to explain, according to the Rambam, that the Anshay Hutzel carried light things on their head, which normally would be mutter. But since Anshay Hutzel, that was the way of doing it, perhaps you would say it would be Yasser. So we say, but Ladatam. But Halacha, it's true. If you carry something on your head, something light, which is not the normal way of doing it, that would be called Hatzah so it would be Pater. But, so what? It's Asim Rabbanan. So here the, the Sholom Eishev said, 
Since today, we paskin that there is no real Rishos HaRabim, all the cities that ha- do have an Eruf rely on the opinion that a Rishos HaRabim is only a place where 600,000 people pass every, every, every day. In our cities, according to this understanding, there is no Rishos HaRabim, since we rely on that for a purpose of an Eruf. In this particular place, there is no Eruf, but nevertheless, there's no Rishos HaRabim. So he says it's considered a shvus to shvus, a doubled Rabbanan. To carry in a Kamal, this is also a Rabbanan. To carry in your head would be another Rabbanan. So it would be a Rabbanan of a Rabbanan in a place where there is a great Hefzit. So therefore he allowed you to do it. And he quoted a, the Bezdin of, the, the Av Bezdin of Brezin, who allowed people to carry their keys to shul on Shabbos on top of their hat. Very interesting. The people obviously were afraid of leaving their houses open. They were afraid of Ganavim. So they wanted to lock the door. But if you lock the door, how do you get back in? How do you take your key? So this Rav Halpern, the Rav of Brezin, allowed them to carry their keys in their hat. And he said it would be a shvus to shvus, the makam pseida, and we allowed him to do it. Now, it's interesting because in the case of the banknote, the person had to go to bring the banknote. There, the, the Sholemeshi found the heter. Would he allow that heter for a person who just wanted to leave his house on Shabbos? Let's say you want to go for a walk on Shabbos. Would you allow a person to carry his keys in his hat because of Onik Shabbos? The, the, the two cases that we have here were one case where he had this important document that he had to bring to the non-Jew and the other is he wanted to go to Shul. So maybe you could say a Shavuz to Shavuz Mitzvah is like a Shavuz to Shavuz Those two would be permitted but then one could ar- would argue how far could this extend? I once was in Russia and at a time when people told us that you should not go out without a passport. And they they said if the police would stop you without a passport, you could be in, in trouble. So I asked Harab Mordechaliyahu, Zechat Sadik Levracha, what I should do. Would it be possible to carry my shoe my passport in my shoe? Put the passport in my shoe and carry it that way. The Rav Eliyahu answered me that uh, he thought it would not be permitted. And he said to me that, who told you how generally people carry things in Russia? Maybe because of all kinds of reasons, one can only imagine what it was like in Russia 30 years ago, or it's 25 years ago. So maybe people very often put things in their shoe and try to hide things from the authorities. So he did not permit me to carry kilachar uh, yad. In a, he felt maybe that's not considered kilachar yad, even though obviously I wanted to go to shul on Shabbos. He suggested at the time that uh, I should not worry about being caught without a passport because in those days he felt if you would explain to the authorities 
why you did not carry your passport, it would not be a, a major issue. And he felt we could risk uh, going to Shul on Shabbos without carrying it all. Uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, that's exactly what happened. Another question in that same volume, the seventh volume of the Shulam Eshev, was about a person who was on the on the on a road, and he had his friend's chametz, and it was just before Pesach, and the problem would be that if he did nothing, then his friend's chametz would become chametz she'avar alav Pesach. It would be aser because of chametz that was existed in Pesach without destroying or getting rid of. And the question would be, could he be mevatel his chametz? Could this person who was carrying, had someone else's chametz, be mevatel the chametz for his friend? In general, in halacha, there's a principle of zachin le'adam shalabafanav. You can uh, do a zchus for somebody even if he's not present. That's why if you, uh, let's say someone wants to give uh, Reuven a present and Reuven is not here, you can give it to me, even though Reuven does know, knows nothing about it. And I can make a kinyan for Reuven because Zachin Adam Shlabafanov. But, in, in, and this is, certainly is a schus that the person who owns the chametz will not be over the Isur of chametz and Pesach. So, the Rev. Natanzin said, no, you could not be Mevatel the chametz because you do not say zochin may adam shalabefanov. This is a chova for a person. This is something bad. He loses his chametz, so he can't be. You can't take away something from a person because of a schus. You can only give him something. In yeshiva jargon, that's the difference between zochin le adam shalabefanov and zochin may adam shalabefanov. You can't take away something. Now, it's true that the chametz will be aser, no matter what you do. But right now, it belongs to the Jew. And therefore, how could somebody else do beetle? He adds, and I'm not sure if it's added as an extra argument or to strengthen, or this is the original argument. He says, maybe in fact, the Jew who owns the chametz did sell it. If that's true, then the chametz itself is is not a problem. Could you be mevatel chametz after it was sold? That, I assume, would not work at all. It's not yours. How can you mevatel? But he says that's the reason that you cannot be mevatel. Now, he also added a very interesting point. He said that perhaps you could sell it, not be mevatel it, because, but you could sell it. For like a person who was a shomer. A shomer has somebody else's chametz. Not only can he sell it, but he should sell it. He says, maybe in this case, it would be a mitzvah to do such a thing. Now, this seems to be also zachin me'adam shalabafanav. Now, Reb Baron Salavechik was my was a Rebbe whom I had the privilege to learn in his shir in, Bav, in, y, in Yeshiva University where we learned Bav Metziah. And when we learned the Mishnah of Hamafki Peres Eitzel Chavero, Afilu Heini Budim Lo Yigabahem. 
the Mishnah said if a person gave a Shomer fruit to guard and the fruit began to spoil, it said in the Mishnah you can't sell it. The Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says you can. You're allowed to sell it in front of Bezdin. The Gemara has side reasons why you're not allowed to sell it. But it seems that intrinsically you would be allowed to sell it. So to sell it would also be considered Zachin Meyadam Shalabafanov. So why wouldn't you say then Zachin Meyadam Shalabaf to sell his chametz, but you couldn't be Mevatal the chametz? Well, one could argue that in Zachin, you, it's true in the case of selling, you take away his chametz, but you get something back for it. So maybe that's a, that's considered, you get the money back. So maybe that's considered Zachin Le'adam with Zachin Me'adam. But in the case when it's only Zachin Me'adam, as in giving away the chametz, or being Mevatah the chametz, so then, Ratnatinson thought that you're not allowed to do it. He does then quote other sources that discuss the same issue, and in the footnotes that I mentioned, mentioned Rav Hershkovitz printed, he quotes a Mi'irim Psachim, that if a person was asked to do B'dikas Chametz, the person who was asked to do B'dikas Chametz can also do Bitul Chametz. Bitul Chametz need not be done by the owner. It could be done, by, according to the Mi'iri, could be done by the person who was instructed to do B'dikas Chametz. However, he said, that is only a person who was already appointed as a shaliach to do B'dikas Chametz, and therefore he felt that only in such a case would you allow to be a vatel. But in the case where you were not appointed, you just happened to have the other person's chametz, you could not be mevatel someone else's chametz. Another question that was asked, and again, interesting to see the attitude toward customs, was a question about an avel. This particular avel happened to be a bukhar. And it was Erev Pesach. He was sitting shiva on Erev Pesach. Now, the custom that I know from many, many years is that Tanis Bechoros Erev Pesach is almost not observed at all in terms of fasting. In every shul that I've ever been, the people make siyumim, make a siyumam at Masachet. People who really don't have much connection with the siyum come to the Bechor who has really no connection or very little connection with anything to do with this siyum, comes to the siyum and partakes in the Sudas Mitzvah and then doesn't have to fast that day. Now, this Avel Nebuch is in his home. Can he go to the shul for the purpose of participating in the Sudas Mitzvah of being part of the siyum in order to enable him to eat on that particular day? This question was asked in 18... Tavresh Gimel. Tavresh Gimel was 1843, if I'm not mistaken. And Rav Natanzin Paskin Luchamra. He said he can't go. And first of all, he said, I don't know this whole idea, where it came from, that you're allowed to make a, a, a Sudas Mitzvah on, 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 on Tanis Becharos. There is no source for it. And it's not even mentioned in Achronim. But you know what? He says, this is a minic. And I'll tell you the truth. Says Rav Natanzin, I don't know the source for it. I don't, uh, Achronim didn't say it. Many people think it's not true. 
But Rav Natan says, but I am, must confess, I'm a Bukhar, and I don't fast. When I was a child, says Rav Natanzen, my father, Harav Hagong, would make him a, make a siyum. And ever since then, I myself make a siyum because it's difficult for me to fast, especially on Erev Yantif. And let's also remember that the fast day of Astanis Bukharos is only a custom that's mentioned in the Ramah. So since the minig is to be makel a siyum, all right, this is the minig Yisrael, and I'll leave this minig alone. But that's if you make a, a, a siyum. But you only come to hear someone else's siyum. I don't think a person can treat Avela so lightly and go to this siyum. He does, he does then quote a tshuva of the Maharim Mintz, Maharam Mintz, quoted in the Shach, that when a person comes near the end of a Masechta, he could leave it and wait till an appropriate time to make a siyum. I think that's generally what's done. Many people who make a siyum in the nine days or in Tanis Bechos, which are, you know, really well-known minhagim, don't really finish on that day. Sometimes you, you plan your learning in advance to finish on that day. But many times a person finishes the Masechta and waits until that day so he can make a siyum to enable people to uh, eat on Tanis Bechos or to eat meat during the nine days. So, the Maram Mintz says that's permissible and an Avel can come there. The uh, Rav Natanzen said, you know, this custom of delaying it was based on a Gemara Moed Cotton that a person can delay uh, to finish something of a mitzvah in order to make a party later. So, I think that's true. But that's only for an Avel who's in Yud Beis Chodesh. But not for an Avel who is in Shiva. But then he does suggest an interesting idea. He said the Avel should not go to the Siyam. But the Siyam could come to the Avel. If the the Messiah is willing to go to the house of the Avel, it's permitted. That's a big Chiddush. Because an Avel is also B'divrei Torah. An Avel is not allowed to learn. And base Avel, the house of an Avel, is also not allowed to be a, a place of Torah. The, there's a very common custom that in the house of an Avel, they learn Torah between Mincha and Marif. They learn Mishnayis between Mincha and Marif to say Kaddish, also to keep the community there between Mincha and Marif. People dab Mincha, you want to make sure you have a minion, so you learn in between, and people stay from Marif. Rav Salvechik, if I'm not mistaken, was not in favor of that custom because he felt base Avel should not have Torah. It's not just the Avel can't learn Torah. Base Avel should not have Torah. But nevertheless, the Shalomeshiv said, since the person made a, made a Siyum, and it's for him it's a Yantif, so the Avel can allow himself to be part of that Simchas Yantif of the Messiah. And therefore, he could eat in such a case. So that is the kula that he did suggest, but he did not permit uh, the Avel to go during Shiva to Tanis Bukharos. Also, a very interesting personal point here was mentioned by the by the Shalomeshiv in a very short shuva. The question was asked to him: 
about can a levi wash the hands of a kohen? Now, obviously, that's what we do. A levi washes the hands of the kohen. The question that was asked to him was, <coughs> what about washing the hand of a kohen who's an amaretz? Because the they quote a pre who said, Tamid Chacham, Sheyatzak Mayim Ayyadei Kohen Amaretz, Chas V'Shalom Nenash. A Tamid Chacham, who is required to maintain his own dignity, should not wash the hands of a Kohen who's Namaretz. And the expression was Nenash, that he will receive a punishment, apparently, for what you consider a zilzul in Torah. The Note that the Shalom Meshiv did not quote any sources whatsoever for the answer. He just said, And he signed his name, of course, Hakatan Yosef Shol Halevi. Rav Natanson himself was Halevi. He didn't explain why, where, and how. And he said that he's, you know, quite busy. But he just said, my personal custom is I wash the hands of all the kohanim and I make sure they do it correctly. I always wondered about this when, what is the custom of Levim who are Tamir Chachamim? Of course, as someone who had the privilege to learn, I mentioned before today that I learned in the Shia of Rebaran Salavechik, and later on I had the schus of learning with Rav Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik. I always wondered how a Kohen would feel if these great Rabbanim would go out to wash their hands. The question, obviously, in my mind, was double. One, would a levy, such a great Tamid Chacham, be allowed to go to wash the hands of a Kohen? A Kohen who obviously is not in his level of learning, perhaps even what we would call Ameharetz. And secondly, I always wondered about the, the, the Kohen involved. How would he really feel if he did go to wash, and he found this great Tamid Chacham pouring water on his hands. Uh, I never was with Rav Salavechik on Yom Tov. So in America, they don't have Bichat Kohanim every day. So I did not see exactly personally what Rav Salavechik did, but it was told to me that he did not go out to uh, do he did not leave the Bet Midrash, the, the, the Bet Knesset, to go wash the hands of the Kohanim. I, I, that's the, what someone told me. I personally have no knowledge of this, uh, of this particular issue. The last point that we'll have a, a chance to mention today is a question that was asked on a day when there was, in a time when there w- was a sickness in the city, the doctors felt that it was dangerous to fast. The occasion specifically was in Tafresh Tet, 19, uh, 1849, if I'm not mistaken. Some Gedalia was on Shabbos. And when Sunday is considered a Nitche. And the sickness, in the way they write it in Yiddish, is Chalira, probably what we call a cholera. And the doctor said it was dangerous to fast. Lechora, there's no question here. And here, Dafka, the note, the, the, uh, took on one hand a rather stringent stance, on the other a rather lenient stance. He was afraid that if they say that you don't fast at all, 
everybody should just give tzedakah, people might think a fast day such as some G'day was abolished and they would not fast in another year as well. There were also people who did fast every single day of Aser Simei So he didn't want them to feel they could fast Aser Simei but there would be a public announcement that you can't fast some G'day. So therefore he said, you should, everybody should fast till Chatzos. My assumption is the doctors said that would be all right, because if the doctors felt that was dangerous as well, I would find it very difficult to imagine how somebody would tell them to fast till Chatzos. So in this respect, the Sholem Eishif took a rather stringent point of view. You should fast at least till Chatzos, but the, the Kula that he said is that at Chatzos you can make a minion for Mincha, and you can say Vayichal, you can read Ane, you can say Aneinu, even though normally we say Tanis Sheloshakalav Achama Enotanis, a Tanis that does not go 24 hours till the end of the day is not considered, well, 24 hours from the morning till the night, at least, is considered a Tanis. So here, since it is a Tanis Tzibur by definition, even though there's no one in the Tzibur is going to fast, but we, together with the fact that they fasted till Chatzos, and at the fact is that Tanis Sibor, he was makil that at that time they could fast till Chatzos, Davin, and he points out that that's what they did. That's what they did in Levuv on that particular year, and the Shalom Eshev approved of that psak.